We're good to go? Okay, so I'm going to mute everybody, and uh, hello Martin, how are you Doc? A good Nero Shabbos. You too, Rabbi. Thank you, thank you. Alright, so we're joined by uh, an audience live on Facebook as well, and I am going to try to share with you a few inspiring words from this week's Parsha, which I hope will serve to uplift and put you in a better frame of mind. Of course, the Torah for us is Torah Chaim, And Torah Chaim for us means, as a Torah of life, that it's a Torah that gives us direction in life. And direction doesn't only tell us where to go, it tells us how to go and how to best utilize the gift, which is called Chaim, which is called life. So, so where do you look, right? The Alter Rebbe says that each and every single week, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Almighty God, speaks to the Jewish people and He gives us weekly messages. And the weekly messages come in the form of Parshat HaShavua. That's why the notion of the Torah portion or the weekly Parsha is not simply something that we read in Shul or even talk about at the Shabbat table, but it's really something that we live with. As the famous aphorism goes, we have to live with the times. Which brings us to Parshas Yisro, the Parsha in which we read about Matan Torah. And it brings us to the notion that this Shabbos is called Mevorchim, the Shabbos that brings blessing or is empowered to infuse a new month with Bracha Vatzlocha. And it's no ordinary month. This is a new month of Adar, about which the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law says, Mishanichnas Adar, Marbim Besimcha. When Adar comes, we have the sacred duty of adding joy in our lives. The Rebbe, I believe in the last Shabbos of Varchem Adar, before he, he had the stroke, the Rebbe said that the calling to add joy in our life begins not on Rosh Chodesh, on the first day, but it actually begins on Shabbos Mavarchim. And even though we have a whole week of Shvat left, today is only the 23rd day of Shvat, and Rosh Chodesh won't be celebrated until the end of next week, including next Shabbat, the notion of adding in joy begins now. We are in Maile Shabbat, we're in the period of time which the Zohar calls the entrance, the threshold into Shabbos, and it's a threshold not only into a Shabbos of Parshas of Yisrael Matan Teira, it's a threshold into Mevorchim Odor, and so we have this lofty calling that says, be uplifted, be happy, be joyous, and you're scratching your head and saying, what is this rabbi smoking? Doesn't he know we're in lockdown? Doesn't he know we're in the middle of COVID? Doesn't he know that we're not feeling so happy right now? And nobody is in a particularly joyous frame of mind? What do you mean, Mar bin Besimcha? <laughs> How exactly should we find joy in a time which is, well, significantly less than the optimal and the kind of circumstances that we like to be in? So I would like to answer today both questions for you to the best of my ability. I want to talk to you about living with the time, a practical, very, very real lesson that every one of us can derive from the notion of parshas Yisro in our lives and how this directly leads us into the Marbim Besimcha calling. 
the notion that we need to add and upgrade our joy in life. Parshas Yisro has many important verses. No question about that. There is also no question that the, the central theme of this Parsha is Matan Torah. The giving of the Torah. This is the single greatest moment in history. The only thing that will eclipse or, or tower or loom over this is the coming of Mashiach itself. Nothing short of the arrival of Mashiach and the time in which the whole world will be saturated in the awareness and the presence of God can come close to Matan Torah. In fact, the Alter Rebbe describes in great detail in Tanya in chapter 36, uh, he describes the notion of mass revelation, and he says this was a foretaste of the perfected world that we will be Ezra, Hashem Yisbarach, please God, soon experience with the coming of Mashiach. So, Maimed Har Sinai, mass revelation, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, speaking to every single one of us and saying to us, Anoichi Hashem Alekecha, I am the Lord, your God. And when Hashem spoke, we felt as if He was speaking to us. We felt Him, we felt Him addressing us in the singular person. Each of us merited moments of personal, private connection in as much as it was what you call a national event. And the verses of Aserta Dibrut are so important that our sages at some point had to move to de-emphasize Aserta Dibrut. I'm sure you know people who will say to you, well, I don't keep 613, but I keep 10 mitzvot. I keep the 10 commandments. I oftentimes remind people that keeping Shabbat, according to Halacha, is one of those commandments. And I'm not sure everybody's doing such a fantastic job at that. In fact, the Alter Rebbe says that if you aren't learning Hilchas Shabbos, you aren't copiously reviewing the laws of Shabbos on a regular basis, there's a good chance you probably aren't keeping it right. And the observance of Shabbos is something that we must continuously work on. It's what you call a lifelong journey, a journey of discovery, a journey of, of habit, because you've got to get into the rhyme and reason of keeping Shabbos. And that's something that takes tremendous effort. But at any rate, it is true that in some Jewish communities, there became so much of a focus on what's called Aseret HaDibrot, that people actually started to de-emphasize the importance of mitzvahs. And that's not a good thing. So as such, as such, there was, for example, in some communities, the custom that people stopped standing during Aseret HaDibrot. Not because Aseret HaDibrot isn't important, but because it led people to think that as long as you keep 10, you're doing just fine. But in fact, you need to keep 613. In our community, as in most, we do rise when Aseret HaDibrot are read in the Beit HaKnesset, and it is considered to be really the crowning collection of verses in the Torah. We have it in Parshas Yisro, where it's documented for the first time. Moshe Rabbeinu repeats it a second time in Parshat Ve'etchanan, and there too, we rise for the occasion. So I want to focus on the Aseret HaDibrot this afternoon as we move into Shabbat Kodesh, and I want to talk about the tablets of stone that the Aseret HaDibrot were chiseled or hewn into. Now, these were enormous tablets of stone soon, when this crazy lockdown will end, and we'll be back in our show, all you need to do is look up at the Aron Kodesh, and you'll see those enormous glass cubes, which are the precise size and shape 
of the Luchot Habrit. Shisha al Shisha al Shalosh. Six Amot by six Amot and the depth of, of, of three Tvachim, pardon me, and the depth of three Tvachim, significantly sized cubes, large slabs of stone, miraculously hewn or created by the hand of God itself, the first Luchot were, out of what we assume to be something like sapphire, if not sapphire itself. The Luchot were miraculously engraved in that you could read the words of Aserot Dibrot from every which side. They were a, a living, breathing organism of stone, something which defies the gravitational pull and the rhyme and reason of time and space as we know it. And the Luchot, upon which were written these ten mitzvahs, which serve as the emblem of all that Hashem asks of us, it becomes the paradigm of everything that Hashem expects. Those luchot are two in nature. How come not one? Why not one slab of stone? Does Judaism not focus on the notion of oneness? Of course the answer is yes, we do focus on the oneness of Hashem. And for us, our declaration of faith is Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. We acknowledge that all is from God. We don't believe in devils, shamans, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, or any kind of Godhead. There is nothing but HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Almighty God Himself. All of existence, every force, every power, is but an extension of God Himself. But there are two luchot. Because in our relationship with God, there are two distinctly different arenas. Ben Adam Lamakom, how you behave towards God, u ben Adam lechaveiro, how you treat your fellow, and of course you must remember that your fellow is created in the image of God. So we have all of us are created in the image of God, and when we treat our fellow humans appropriately, ultimately, that leads us into our relationship with Hashem. A person who's good with God but isn't good with his fellow, isn't good with God either. In fact, the Mishnah explicitly states that anybody whom people are able to enjoy their presence, if somebody is pleasing to others, that's ultimately pleasing to God. Which doesn't mean that you can ignore the mitzvahs of kashrut, mezuzah, shabbat, or tefillin, and say, hey, I'm good, I'm good with people, I'm a really good human being. Of course, we need to be good with God, and Hashem has given us responsibilities and opportunities through which we can nurture a meaningful, powerful, and profound relationship with the creator of the entire universe. But Hashem says, I want you to be good with others. And only when you are able to unite with others, and only when you are able to appreciate others, and only when you are able to have sensitivity to others, can you properly nurture and develop the relationship with Hashem Himself. This is a gross oversimplification, but it's really about transcending self. A selfish person thinks only of me, the I. The narcissist can't think of anybody else. He sizes or she sizes everything up in the frame of, how does it relate to me? I shared with you that silly, humorous uh, narrative of the narcissist who went on a blind date. And the narcissist going on his blind date, after speaking about himself for well over an hour, finally turned to the poor lady and he said, you know, I realize all I've done for the past hour 
is speak about myself. Why don't you tell me what you think about me? Obviously, that's pathetic. And the notion of getting along with others requires selflessness. Don't think about yourself. Think about others. When you think only about yourself, you can't really worship or serve Hashem or God either. And the reason is simple. Because if you're always thinking about yourself, you're not serving Hashem. You're serving yourself. If you perform mitzvot because all you seek or want is your own proverbial slice of seven-layer cake in heaven, if you're just looking for your fun, your pleasure, and you believe that the pleasures in the other world are greater than the pleasures of this world, you're a hedonist, you're a narcissist, and you're serving yourself. That's really what idolatry is about. Instead of understanding that we're created in God's image, the idolater creates a God in his image. So both relationships with others and relationship with Hashem really boil down to being able to transcend self. The less we think of ourselves, the more room we make for others. The less we think of ourselves, the more room we make for Hashem. So we have two luchot. One tablet contains mitzvot ben adam lechavero. Mitzvot like not to lie, not to commit adultery, not to be jealous. I mean, these are mitzvahs of respecting one another. And then there are mitzvahs between us and God. Mitzvahs like worshipping only Hashem and not worshipping idols has nothing to do with how we treat somebody else. That defines my relationship with Hashem. Keeping Shabbat properly is about me and my bond with God. So there are two luchot. They don't have the same amount of letters. They don't have the same amount of words. In fact, there's a gross difference between the two. The first tablets have many, many more words, much more writing. And yet, the tablets were both equally sized to tell us that both our relationship with Hashem and our relationship with others is of equal importance. And that brings us to a great mystery. Five commandments, five mitzvahs on one luach, on one tablet, Five commandments, five mitzvot, or dibrot, on the other luach, on the other tablet. Five between us and God. Five between us and our fellow humans. And yet, the fifth mitzvah is kabed esavicha ve'esimecha. The fifth mitzvah is that we must afford dignity and respect to our father and mother. That doesn't sound like bein adam l'makom. That doesn't sound like a relationship between us and God, it sounds like the way we treat another human being. Our parents are human. So granted, your parents have to be treated with a different sense of respect and a different sense of dignity and a different sense of consideration than you treat somebody else. But at the end of the day, they're still human. We don't worship our parents. We worship God. So why is it that the mitzvah of kabed esavicha ve'esimecha finds itself not on the tablet that defines the relationship ben adam l'chavero, but instead it finds itself on the tablet that defines the relationship ben adam l'makom. There are two schools of thought of how to reconcile this apparent problem. I want to share both of them with you. I want to draw a distinction between the two schools of thought. And then I want to talk about COVID, Canada, our present circumstances, and how we can better 
prepare ourselves to add joy in our lives. <coughs> Nachmanides, Ramban, says something yeah. very interesting about this mitzvah. Sure. Uh, you yeah. gotta mute yourself. I'm missing a bunch of shirts. I'm gonna have to go down your room. Sorry, I'm just gonna mute somebody. Here we go. Back to the subject at hand. Ramban Nachmanides states the following. Aseret Hadibrot, the Ten Commandments or Statements, Chamisha Bechvod Habora, five focus on the honor of the Creator. The Chamisha, the Tovata Adam, five focus on goodness towards others. Ramban Nachmanides anticipates the question. After all, the Fifth Commandment does not seem to govern the relationship between us and God. Says Ramban, Ki kvod Honoring your parents is honoring God. Ki because we respect our parents because we respect God. That's the reason we respect our parents. Why is that? Hamishtatef biyetzirato because we, as parents, are, so to speak, partners with God in the creation of a human being. When you respect your parents, Ramban says, what you're really respecting is God himself. As the Rebbe explains in a fascinating, very nuanced, edited sicha, this is because the notion of human beings being able to continually procreate is a reflection of the infinitude of God himself. If you ever care to look into the science of procreation, you'll be amazed that any of us even exist. As one doctor once told me, he says achieving a pregnancy, it's basically like getting a hole in one. How so many of us exist is a mystery. The chances of actually hitting the target are, it would seem, one in a million. And yet, miraculously, billions of miracles have happened. And here we all are. It's really like you would call it a miracle in our times. People who watch the process of birth walk away awed at the power of Hashem, the Creator Himself. Yes, of course, animals procreate. All kinds of other living creatures and beings procreate. All of it really is miraculous. It is probably the greatest miracle that we can see. The most extraordinary thing that unfolds in our lives is the notion of the gift of children. Many years ago, I was asked to lead an event that was held at the Science Center. It was, it was a, a special event that was devoted to heralding research on, on, on Tay-Sachs and genetic diseases and its prevention. It was, it was held by the Weizmann Institute of Science from Israel. And at that time, there was some people that were coming to some of my classes who I, I think really were in charge of a whole lot of funding that had to be given somewhere for this specific purpose. And that's how I got roped into this. And it was a, it was a fascinating evening. They brought a, one of the most brilliant professors of the Weizmann Institute to speak. And 
he showed slide after slide and detail after detail of how pregnancies are achieved and what could go wrong in literally in nanoseconds. And I remember commenting at the end of the evening as I brought it to its close, I said, oftentimes people have told me that science serves as a contradiction to revelation or religion. And I said, I have to tell you, having listened to the last two hours, I'm a much bigger minded. I believe in Hashem more than ever because the fact that pregnancies are achieved and that we are born normal is absolutely astounding and miraculous. <laughs> Sadly, the professor came over to me after and he patted me on the shoulder almost like, you know, um, with sympathy. And he said, Rabbi, you don't really have to believe in God. It's okay. We have something called intelligent design now. Obviously, it's not random. There's something intelligent making it happening, but you don't have to believe in God. I said, Yashikoyach. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your sympathy. <laughs> By the way, when is your flight tomorrow and can we put on tefillin? So the, the thing is, of course, that, that, that birth is a miracle and it's a godly expression. And so Nachmanides says that when we honor our parents, it's not because they were nice to us or good to us or got up at 3 o'clock in the morning, changed their diapers and fed us. When we honor our parents, it's because they are the vehicle through which Hashem has brought us into this world. And therefore, honoring parents is ultimately an expression of honoring Hashem Himself. This is very important in our time and day and age. So many young people have such bad relationships with their parents. And sometimes the parents aren't right. But as I tell people again and again, it doesn't matter. Your parents are not your friend. Your parents are not to be respected if you like them. In fact, nowhere does the Torah say, thou should love your parents. What the Torah does say is, kabed, you have to respect them. Not because they were nice to you. Not because they were good to you. But because disrespect of parents is ultimately disrespect of Hashem Himself. This is an idea which we need to really internalize in a very profound way because we're all influenced by our environment. We live in a society that thinks Mother's Day once a year is good enough. And if once a year I say, Hi Dad, I love you, for Father's Day, that's called honoring parents. It's not true. The truth is that we have to go out of our way and try to honor our parents every day of our lives. During their terrestrial lifetimes, and even when they have passed on to their eternal reward, in fact, that important thing called Kaddish, that people go to great lengths to observe, according to our sages, is basically an extension of the biblical mitzvah of Kabed Esavicha Ve'esimecha. In fact, living like a mensch, living the kind of life which brings your parents nachas, terrestrially or on high, is an act of kibbutz it's the greatest gift you can give them. This is a very important school of thought. But it's not the only school of Torah thought. I, would, I want to focus on another school of Torah thought. The school of Torah thought that views this mitzvah as a responsibility to pay our debt. Our parents gave us everything. We, in turn, have to show appreciation. The Sefer HaChinuch as well as the Ibn Ezra and many others, suggest that the notion of honoring our parents is simply what we call in Yiddish the menschlich thing to do. Let me quote to you the Chinuch in his writings about the mitzvah of Kibbutz 
He says, and I quote, it's appropriate for a person to recognize and to reciprocate the kindness. To those who have done good to you. Don't be a degenerate. A person who says, who? Parents? What they do for me? A person who denies goodness. A lack of reciprocity, says the Sefer Achinoch, is the definition of a bad emotional trait. In fact, he goes further. Not only is it bad, evil, he says it's ma'usa. It's actually repugnant. Betachlis, to the nth degree. It's a repulsive way to live not to show appreciation for the people who birthed you, for the mother who carried you for nine months and suffered morning sickness and all kinds of other challenges of pregnancy, went through the pain of birth, and you can't have the menschlichkeit to treat her in the most dignified, in the most beautiful way. Something's wrong with you. Sefer HaChinuch says it's a repulsive way to live before God and before others. One must take to heart. Without parents, you wouldn't be. Furthermore, he says, It's appropriate that we go out of our way to express every kind of honor and homage and anything we can do to help our parents. They brought you here. They toiled. They worked so hard to raise you when you were a small child. Now, of course, everything that the Sefer Achinuch has described would seem to place this mitzvah on the other tablet. It's been Adam lechavero. It's the way we're treating another person. It's not the way we're treating Hashem. The Sefer Achinuch says, though, that when this becomes ingrained in your soul, when it becomes a part of who you are, it will lead you to be appreciative, to express gratitude towards Hashem Himself. God is who brought you into existence. God brought your grandparents and their grandparents into existence. If you're going to respect your parents, if you're going to be reciprocally appreciative because they brought you into this world, ultimately, that equation leads to respect for the Creator, to treating God with, with dignity and with honor and paying homage to Hashem Yisbarah. The, the Sefer Achinuch goes on to say that when a person is nosan bo nefesh yedas, when he realizes that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given him consciousness, Hashem has made you differently, he says, than a horse or a mule. You're able to appreciate. You're able to have an attitude which is not self-serving, as an animal does. Then, that will lead you to be meticulous and careful about your Avodat Hashem. I had an interesting conversation yesterday 
with a member of our community. I called him because it was the birthday of one of his children and I couldn't get through to the house line. And we spoke for a while. And he always kids me. He says, you know, I'd love to watch your classes, but you speak for too long. <laughs> He's very upfront. He says, I, I like this other rabbi because he, he goes through it in rapid fire. He says, he moves to the Chumash and that's it. And I said to him, look, yeah, I heard this from you three times already. I thought about it. I'm not changing. I can only be me. I can't be somebody else. And I understand that maybe my classes won't light your candle. I get that. I said, but I can only be the best me I can be. I can't be somebody else. And if you're finding your thirst for Torah knowledge elsewhere, I'm so happy. Baruch Hashem, that's great. And he says, by the way, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. <laughs> he says, you know, I was listening to the Chumash from this other rabbi, and he said that Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't strike the Nile River because he had benefited from the Nile. After all, his bassinet was placed in the Nile River. He says, that makes absolutely no sense to me. What does that mean? You say thank you to water? And he says, and I remember hearing things like, we cover the bread on Friday night so the bread shouldn't be shamed when we focus on the wine instead of the bread. He's like, what does that mean even? How can bread have feelings and have shame? That doesn't make any sense to me. Why would you show appreciation to, to water or sand? I chuckled and I said to him, and that's exactly why I explain things differently. I said, because what I'll teach you that, Rashi, I'll explain it to you. I'm going to make sense out of it. From my perspective, in the way I understand and enjoy teaching Torah, it has to be understood fully. I don't want to just repeat words that I read somewhere. I want to make sense out of it. And I said, you know, that takes time. He said, okay, you win. So explain it to me. I said, it's really very simple. The bread doesn't have feelings. The lake or river doesn't have feelings. Neither the sand or soil. But when you accustom yourself to living appreciatively, when you live gratefully, when you don't forget somebody who did something good to you, and so often human beings do. In fact, it's human nature. It's human nature to deny the goodness people have done for you. Nobody wants to feel ingratiated. Nobody wants to feel as if they owe something to somebody. So our mind works as such, eh, they didn't really do anything for me anyway. But that's what they did for me last week, last month, last year, last decade. I don't have to be appreciative anymore. Nobody wants to be in debt. It's not a good feeling. And because of that, people naturally are predisposed to being unappreciative. But guess what? Human nature is a phenomenal thing created by God for you and I to change. That's why Hashem created human nature. He made us naturally ungrateful so that we would work on developing an attitude of gratitude. And the attitude of gratitude doesn't begin with people. It begins with a loaf of bread or a challah. It's how you view a lake or a river. And yes, it's how you treat the ground or the soil because what happens to a person who lives appreciatively, what happens to a person who doesn't walk around kvetching and entitled, but instead appreciating and thanking and being grateful for all that is done for him, the person who lives like that invariably will treat people differently as well. When the Rebbe explains this idea, he sends us off to a fascinating statement 
which is made in the Gemara in Masechet Baba Kama. The Gemara says, Somebody sent you wine, but make sure you thank the waiter. I mean, the waiter didn't give me his wine. The waiter didn't pour anything. I'm sitting at, a, at an event, a simcha. It's the Bala Simcha's wine. The waiter is just delivering it. I don't have to be appreciative to him, do I? You certainly do, says the Gemara. You absolutely must express appreciation. It doesn't matter if it's his wine. He poured the wine into your cup. Show appreciation. If we take the time to live by the notion that an attitude of gratitude is critical to who we are going to be, if we make the decision to say, we're not going to take anything for granted, we're not going to have entitlement, and we're not going to expect things to come our way, and even if I did something for somebody, doesn't mean anybody owes me anything. I need to live with gratefulness. I have to be grateful to my parents. And if I live with gratefulness to my parents, well, says the Sefer Achinuch, then invariably you will be a holy, spiritually minded person who will live gratefully and thank Hashem Yisbarach. Perhaps this is the great challenge of our particular time. So many things are disrupted and so many things are wrong with life that we forget to stop, count, and remember the so many things that are right with life. Your body is comprised of not hundreds, not thousands, but millions of details that are working right today. That's a million reasons to say thank you and to be appreciative. To the best of my knowledge, Everybody watching this has a roof over their head, and Baruch Hashem, everybody has food to keep body and soul together. That's huge. Do you know how many times in history people didn't have food to eat? Some of your own parents lived through World War II and knew the meaning of true deprivation. My Zaydi, he used to say to me, Ah, you're an American chocolatnik. It means something like, an American kid who grew up in chocolate, had a sweet, cushy life. My Zayda would rub it in. He would say to me, you don't know what it means not to know where you'll sleep tonight. You don't know what it means not to know where your next meal is coming from. And I have to tell you the truth. He would say things like this to me. I was a little boy. I thought he was just a cranky old man. I don't understand what he was saying. It didn't make any sense to me. But as I grew older, those were seeds that he planted with love. And they grew. And I came to start to live more appreciatively. Not to assume that things are coming our way or that necessarily we deserve anything. Everything we get's a gift. It's true. I never really experienced once in my life a fear of where will I sleep tonight? My grandparents went through years of that kind of torture. Did I ever really have we ever really a living memory not have food to eat? Not know if we'd be able to keep our body and soul together? Not know if we'd be alive in a day or a week from there? The reality is for all of us that Baruch Hashem, we don't know of that. And nor should we. There's no reason to ask for misery. The point I'm trying to make is things aren't nearly as bad as we're thinking. They aren't nearly as miserable as we're making them. We have to work on living with an attitude of gratitude. It's not the natural thing. 
It's natural for people to be angry, snarky, frustrated, in fact, even depressed. That's natural. There's nothing unnatural about the wave of sadness and the wave of disappointment and despair that people are feeling. It's perfectly human, meaning we're predisposed by Hashem to be that way. But it's perfectly unmenschlich to live like that. It's just not the right thing. And if we follow the approach of the Sefer HaChinuch, it's very clear that if we will live appreciatively, appreciative to our spouses, appreciative to our family, to our friends, to our community, thankful to Hashem for the many gifts that we have, it will make us into better people. And guess what? An attitude of gratitude will take us right up the yellow brick road leading into the joy of the month of Adar. Let's work at living gratefully. Let's work at living respectfully. Let's work at living appreciatively. You have to work at it. You have to toil. You have to make the effort. But if you will, you will surely be successful. As the sages tell us in the Gemara and Meseches Psachim, I toiled, but found no success. Don't believe that. I don't have to toil at all. And Matsasi, I found great success. Our sages said, don't believe that. I toiled and I found success in life. That's the only believable thing when it comes to success in our Yiddishkeit. A life of Yiddishkeit fulfillment is a life of material happiness as well. When we live the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu asks us to, because we make the effort and the toil, we will, the Ezrat Hashem, be the recipients of the joy and the happiness that we all crave. I want to end with a bracha to each and every one of you. HaKadosh Baruch Hu should help us, Amir Hashem, that we should be able to adjust our attitudes as our plane of vision is changing. And as things get a little bit blurry, or out of focus, or out of whack, or disrupted, or unexpected, we should be able to calibrate ourselves. As we start to get sometimes frustrated, desperate, angry, or depressed, we should recalibrate. We should constantly harp on, focus on, and work on expressing that attitude of gratitude. Yes, expressing it. It's not enough to think it. Think it, speak it, live it. And in doing so, Mir Tzashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will surely, with our, and fulfill our hopes and our wishes, we're going into the month of Adar, good things are coming our way. I have a strong feeling that the Ezer HaShem Yisbaruch, we will soon be back in Shul. We will soon be able to come together as a community. And the Ezer HaShem Yisbaruch, by living with a sense of inner joy, as Torah asks and expects of us, together, Mertz Hashem, we will be zeicha to simchas oilom, to eternal joy, to the revelation of Har Sinai, of the notion of Hashem's closeness to us, not just for a brief moment, and not just in a desert around the mountain, but in the entire world. Because when Mashiach comes, we will together experience Hashem, the whole world, the entire field of vision will be saturated with the knowledge and awareness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that will bring us all the greatest of joy. May we merit to see that Benheira will be Amenu speedily and in our days Amen. Thank you for joining.
Thank you for allowing me the privilege of sharing words of Torah and inspiration. And I look forward, Bezrat Hashem, to be able to do so in person. Have a wonderful Shabbos. A freilich Shabbos, as they used to say. A joyous Shabbos. A happy Shabbos. An inspiring, uplifting Shabbos. A Shabbos that brings us great brachas of Chedesh Adar, and the Hashem, the brachas of Geula, the Meira, will be Amenu. Amen. Thank you. Good Shabbos. Shabbat Shalom.